Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to another edition of After Hours with Defoe and Luby here on the Believe Podcast Network. Jeff DeForest and Mike Luby Lubitz with you. And always great to be able to engage in NFL conversation. This gentleman, one of our favorites, one of our go-to guys when it comes to analysts. In fact, uh, I was thinking back, uh, when did we when did we start talking to and discovering the uh, great insight of Jason Cole? And I believe it was when leather helmets were still considered an innovation. (laughs) Well, he's not that old. So, well, I was around before that. You were. uh, (laughs) I thought it was great. uh, Who was it? Was it Roman Gabriel or Jason Cole that had the single uh, face guard? uh, The one uh, one strap face guard there? Uh, and that, that was uh, that was pretty daring. But, uh, Jason, I, yeah, how I, are you? I, I sort of date myself to the era of of Luckman with uh, <laughs> with no with no bar in leather helmets. Wow, <laughs> no bar. Yeah. Did I tell Did I tell you? I, I once interviewed Sid. Sid had yeah. a condo in North Miami Beach. You know, sort of right next to. Um, uh, North, just north of Bell Harbor, kind of that area. Okay. Um, yeah, and it was it was wonderful. But you know, so we're interviewing. I'm talking to him about you know great partnerships between coaches and quarterbacks, and talking about him and Hallis. And he's telling me the great story about how how Hallis showed up at his apartment with uh, a, a you know with a check for five grand, and the you know which at the time was just this huge amount of money, and you know that made him the highest paid player in the league, and all these kind of things. And we get done, and he starts like, I mean, I, sw- I swear, he starts giving me all these tchotchkes, right? Like these terrible, like plastic pens, and you know, like um, little, little knickknacks, like because I think he, when his career was over, he sold like office supplies, right? So I'm getting all these yeah. cheapo office supplies and things like that, and I'm like, you know, he's the sweetest man in the world. He's a really, really nice man, but. <laughs> He's just giving this stuff away, and he's doing it in like he's become an old New York Jewish man. Yes. Take the stuff; it's wonderful. You he was like in the right it. area, though. Right. That's where they all migrated to. It was Bal Harmon, the guys that had some cash. Oh my God, that's classic. Uh, he, he was. It was that actually. It was right next to Aventura, right? Oh, there now, you go. That's about right. Close enough. <laughs> that's about yeah, right. Yeah. Maybe Jewish yeah. territory. Yeah. Uh, I can assure you, my friend. Being Jewish, I, oh, I take no oh, offense at uh, any allusions to yeah, uh, yeah, the strangeness. <laughs> oh yeah, like the, the, there's a synagogue on every corner, literally. especially in Aventura. So, yeah. <laughs> More synagogues than Seven Elevens. Yeah, that, that's for sure. Right? Yeah, well, they're, 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 they're together. <laughs> well, only you could take like a lame leather helmet intro uh, and uh, turn it into a, a great, great story, story about Sid Luckman <laughs> and the, the Jews of North Miami. <laughs> Man, that's that's why we love you, Jason Cole, on the show. <laughs> I can riff. I can riff on anything. There you go. Oh, you fit right in. Okay. No, it's great. I mean, it's a real gift. I mean, it's an essential in this business, that's for sure. Because there's often, uh, more often than not, nothing to talk about. But uh, no, we're glad to have you with us. So speaking of leather helmets, I mean. I love adverse condition games. A lot of people don't. Uh, I, my, my favorite game all the time was when the giant cast off Chuck Mercine was catching those screen passes and skating away from defensive linemen in the Green Bay Packers, uh, Dallas Cowboys game, the classic, uh, the ice ball at Lambeau Field. Uh, so I don't mind. A lot of people say, well, geez, that wasn't really football. But I, I, I kind of enjoyed that Buffalo Bills Monday nighter 
against the New England Patriots, who uh, we had written off as being uh, finished uh, once and for all. Bob Kraft was done. I mean, he was going to be more known in infamy for those uh, maneuvers that he made at the uh, Asian massage parlor. And uh, forget about the six championships. Yep. And here's Belichick right back on top. And I, I don't know, did you think that was like genius coaching? It looked like it was straight out of NFL films and Vince Lombardi, speaking of Lambeau Field. <laughs> a seal over here and a seal over there. Oh, look, it, I thought it was masterful. And I thought it was masterful how the players bought into it. And, um, you know, like, there's, there's this play I was watching at least two different times where I'm watching Nikhil Harry, who's not a great wide receiver by any respect, right? But he's lined up with his feet literally pointed at the defensive end, right? Yes. So it's literally impossible for him to run a pass route anywhere going upfield, right? Like, it, you have to completely turn your feet, move. Like, you just couldn't do it. You couldn't get off the line of scrimmage, right? But he realizes, look, I'm here for one purpose. I got to block the end, and I got to try and somehow make this play, you know, work. And I'm not really getting into the X's and O's of this. That's not really the point of it. Yeah, yeah. But it was the pure and total dedication. Like, they they completely threw themselves into, we can't run a normal offense. We're going to do this. And I don't know when the team came up with this concept. You know, they had to have known, you know, at some point in time, you know, the wind was going to be howling, but they, but they designed it out perfectly and made the sort of archaic game, you know, which was something straight out of, you know, the, actually the pre-Luckman era, you know, when you would only throw three times (laughs) a game, right. And, and, and made it work. So, yeah, I mean, it's like the fewest passes completed by a winning team since 74, and, and that, that 74 team was a Buffalo team that was playing in terrible conditions, if I remember correctly. So, yeah, I mean, it's it was phenomenal. And, yes, condition games are great, but I think they're, they're great in small doses. Like, you want those games that remind you of what it was like to play when you were a kid and have to deal with the wind or you're out in the – you know, for people who grew up in, in places with a lot of snow, they love that. And it's like, okay, we got to somehow make this game work, you know, here. But, you know, Buffalo is like the best place for that because you either get some yep. torrential snow. I remember Ricky Williams <laughs> running for like 200 yards in the snow one time. Yep. Or you get that howling wind, which I've seen literally knock down Dan Marino passes. Or for, for people, people remember when Mark Royals was punting for one season for the Dolphins, he, he hit one. He hit actually a pretty good, pretty good punt. But he hit it too high and went straight up in the air. Just I could see it, the thing dying. It was like a bird trying to fly into the wind, right? And it just dies, and then it goes one yard. <laughs> it was a one-yard punt by Mark Royals. <laughs> on, on a ball, he actually hit okay. You know, like it, it should have been about a 45-yard kick. Ugh, unbelievable. We're talking with uh, Jason Cole. Uh, NFL insider, author here on After Hours with Defoe and Luby, Elway, A Relentless Life. A tremendous book he has out. He's working on another couple really cool things, and we'll definitely talk more about that with him here. Follow him up on Twitter, at Jason Cole 62 All right, just staying on that, and I get it. There were still only four po- 14 points scored by the Patriots, so it's not like they ran, quote-unquote, wild, but they moved the ball pretty consistently all night. Sean McDermott was so frustrated after. But the question Defoe and I asked was, if you know they're only running 
And yeah, I guess there were some tweaks to it, but that's all they did was run in the NFL. How were they that successful? Like the Bills seemed really to struggle with stopping them when they knew all they were going to do was run. Well, again, they look. There are some technical things that the that Buffalo didn't do particularly well. Okay. Um, and and again, I don't like to get too deep into X's yeah, and O's, yeah. especially in a radio or podcast format because it just doesn't translate. Yeah. But let's just say that this Buffalo, while they played a lot of you know eight, nine, even ten man fronts, mm-hmm. didn't attack within those fronts. In other words, if you know that you know. You you got to do this. You got to get up feel a little bit faster. Dis- disrupt those running lanes. Okay. And they played this like kind of like a little bit too. Um, a little they were a little too careful. Interesting. And what I would just say is the Patriots were fully committed to we're going to do this and we're going to attack you and we're going to come after you. And I don't think that Buffalo both from a tactical standpoint and from a mental standpoint, you know, like psychologically responded to that particularly well. I don't think that, I don't think that what new England did can be copied. You know, like if these teams were to play five times and Buffalo and and new England tried to do that all five times in those conditions, I think Buffalo wins three of those five games. But what happened is the one game, where are one or two games where New England can win? They they did, and the other part of the problem is for Buffalo, they don't have a running game that's at all consistent. They want to play wide open football, and they want you know they want to sling it around. They are unfortunately not built for incredibly harsh weather games in their own place, and they were kind of fortunate last year that they didn't have a lot of them. I mean, like the wind doesn't howl every single Sunday in Buffalo, but they don't have a consistent running game. They don't have the ability to pound the ball. So when they give up a, what was it, 65 yard run early in the game on a, on a, on a play that kind of opens up, you know, perfectly for new England and, uh, you know, and, and Harris breaks away for the long run, the safety overplays it, and, you know, all these little mistakes yeah. that, that, that Buffalo made, the game kind of turns quickly. And then, Buffalo doesn't have an easy way to, to recover from that. And so, again, I think we get a, more of a chance game. It's not a true indicator of where these teams are. So I really do believe that Buffalo is a better team if they were to play in, like, a neutral site and played six, seven games. I, I believe that Buffalo would win four or five of those. Monday night was not one of those. The great Jason Cole with us here on After Hours with Defoe and Luby on the Believe Podcast Network. And uh, always great having Jason on the show. Well, I, I tell you what, uh, my mother, uh, may she rest in peace, uh, you know, normally would have been rolling over in her grave if she knew I was betting all of that inheritance money on the under <laughs> in that ball game. But even she, when she heard about the 60 oh, mile per hour wind possibilities, yeah, the funny thing is she knows though. She, told, yeah, she, she told me to send she it in. She knew what yeah. you were doing. <laughs> that, that was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, and then they scored, like both teams scored in the first quarter. And I thought, oh my God, this is one of those aberrations that, should never happen in a zillion years, but uh, fortunately, uh, the uh, number uh, was held well down there with 24 points being scored uh, in that game. Uh, Jason, uh, uh, thank. Uh, sorry, Ma, I didn't mean to uh, scare you like that. <laughs> I, it's like you're, I, I you're was, reliving. You're reliving the the nightmare. You're like, 
threatening to kill her. Why did you let him hit me? Why are you doing to me? You're killing me. You're killing me. Yeah. It's a little scary. I, well, I, I, you know, I didn't think uh, Belichick was going to be relegated to having uh, Mac Jones, uh, his uh, star second coming of Brady quarterback, throw three passes in that ball game. Also, and then some tough luck too. I mean, Buffalo had uh, many opportunities to win that ball game. McDermott, what, what was it? Did we ever get to the bottom of it, uh, Jason Cole, uh, of what he was so pissed off about? Uh, he was bitching at the officials from the very beginning. I mean, like they hadn't even played the anthem yet, and he was already screaming at the head official for the ball game, and he was like that all throughout the ball game. just uh, seemed to be exceedingly bitter about what was going on. And then he even uh, tried to dismantle the idea that Belichick is a genius after the fact as uh, he was responding to questions about uh, Belichick's strategy and how he got outfoxed, and he seemed to really resent that notion. Uh, what was it that he was so mad about with the officiating in that game? Do you have any idea? I don't know, but I'll say this. I know Sean McDermott. I like Sean McDermott. But to say that he is tightly wound <laughs> would be one of the greatest understatements in the history of mankind. Okay. Yeah. Um, he he's a, he's a little excessive, right? Or as the young folk like to say, he's a little extra. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, McDermott is extra, and so he was extra pissed off um, in you know vital important game where his team is trending the wrong direction, and he knows it. Um, he knows in his heart of hearts, look, they're good, but they're playing as if they've already won something, if that makes sense. Like, I truly believe that Buffalo is a super talented team with a great young quarterback, really good defense. Their players are playing as if, oh, we've won the Super Bowl already. Like, we're the best in the league. It's a very dangerous mindset. And I think that McDermott recognizes it. I don't know that he knows how to deal with it yet. And that's the big problem that he has. And so, by extension, you get these moments where the crazed lunacy, which is inside of every NFL head coach, trust me, um, that crazed lunacy takes over. Um, and he wasn't able to modulate it. And I'm sure he could find a billion reasons why what triggered him. Um, but Suffice to say, I think there's an overall issue that McDermott has to face about the the sort of malaise of his team and how they're not playing with a sense of urgency and whether they're going to get that over the final five games of the season. He looked like he needed to be put on a Delonted drip uh, about <laughs> midway through that ball game, the way he was going nuts over everything. It, it's kind of funny, too, and I always enjoy this. I mean, they were showing some clips of what it was like to try and attempt a field goal illustrating that it was going to be very difficult to kick uh, any field goals in a game, which they did have a few. But uh, that one shot, did that not remind you of Joe Nedney when you used to measure uh, the wideness of his misses by cone of concern, as if you were measuring uh, you know, the, the possibilities <laughs> of getting smacked Joe in the Nedney, face by you know, a hurricane? You're, you're being you're, 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 don't, don't, you know, Joe Nedney was a pretty good kicker. <laughs> he always gets on Nedney. Nedney wasn't as bad as I think as he makes right, it. Right, right. Yeah, like you, you make it all like. Bob Gibson's fastball like, didn't tail as much as his kicks. What are you talking about? Like, Joe Nedney was, was a perfectly fine. fine kicker, you know? Yeah, I, they have, they've had some schlubs. Yes. But I think that you just like the word Nedney. It's like Nedney. Nedney. <laughs> he should be he should be like a character on a conehead, um, you know, you know, skit, right? Like that's hey what, Nedney, that's get in there. Yeah, like, exactly. I just, 
yeah, right. Like, this is it. Like, you know, Lupner, you know, Debbie, you know, like, say this. And the you just in automatically say, right well, he's a, ne- he's a Nedney. Therefore, if he's a Nedney, he's a yeah. terrible human being. It's just awful. Right? Like, I mean, that's just not, that's not fair to Joe. I really, I, I take umbrage with this. Um, no, I mean, there were, were a lot of uh, kicks tailing well, off there. Well, 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 like well, well, that start? <laughs> Like right, some of the original celebrity about, golf tournaments that we were in, uh, Jason. Unbelievable. Uh, just uh, fading well, way off okay. into the woods there. He's a nice guy, the right. too. He's he a really nice No, he seemed like a really good guy. No question. Because <laughs> yeah, you know how it is. I mean, you've yeah. covered a lot of games. I mean, you know, nobody's in the locker room after a loss, so you end up talking to the kicker about uh, what a bitter defeat it was, <laughs> even though he never sniffed the field the entire game except on right. a couple of kickoffs uh, at halftime. But right. uh, that was about it. All right, <laughs> no, so where I, are we I, at in the I NFL? answer your question. Okay, where are we? All right, where are we at in the NFL? Is that no, I mean, who, who's good, Jason? I, I I don't know that I buy into the, the Cardinals, Arizona. They're the best team in terms of uh, record in the NFL. You do. Okay, I do. Give I us do. Uh, give us I the do. rationale I... there, because um, no, no one's convinced yet. Well, when you have a one point eight yards per p- pass play differential for an entire season, wow! <laughs> yeah, and you've missed two or three games with. Kyler Murray, and you still maintain that, <laughs> and you didn't have DeAndre Hopkins for all that. You're good. You're really good. Um, no, they're legit, and they're deep, and they're talented. Okay. Uh, and and the addition of James Conner has given them enough of a, of a tough running game that they're able to you know do some things in the fourth quarter that take time off the clock, which is really really important. Now. They're not going to line up in any kind of traditional run set. They still have to play wide open, so they're susceptible, right? Um, and, and I get it, but um, no, they're good. They're really good. And I and I had my doubts about them, but I, you know, because I just didn't believe this the Kingsbury offense was going to work. But then they went out and got really talented people like Hopkins, yeah. who make it work, right? And who are just unguarded unguardable individuals and they get an AJ green and, you know, just try and milk a little bit more out of him and all those kinds of things that they're doing. But that's a, no, that's a really good team. They're the best team in football. Um, Now that said, this is a year where a lot of strange things are happening. Like Baltimore still, despite their, you know, their hiccup game, they kind of blew that game against Pittsburgh in the fourth quarter. Um, They're really good in close games um, and they're dynamic, but they're like outplaying their stats by just some ridiculous numbers. Right. And doing some, and winning despite the fact that Lamar Jackson's really having kind of a horrible season by his, by his standards. So this is an abnormal season. There's no, I just think that ultimately we're waiting for Tampa to decide, okay, you know, like it's time to, Time to really kick it in. And they've sort of done it the last three games. Um, but I'd like to see them do it for an extended period of time, get hot over the second half of the season. I think that they win it. And there's Kansas City is still sitting there trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to get big plays and, you know, you know, big yardage and get Tyreek Hill loose against all these two deep coverages that we're facing all the time. Or are we going to just be patient enough to say we're going to pound the ball with 
uh, the two running backs and just play ball control all the time and play to our de- our defense since the defense has really turned around. I just I don't know that Kansas City knows what it is yet, and I still worry about Kansas City. And you, as a gambler that you are, yes, probably know that you know, they can't yeah, cover a spread. Yeah, you, you yeah. Pop, yeah, you woke up right there. I, I, gambling? Gambling? Did he say gambling? What did he do? Oh, what are the odds? Point spread? Under over? Okay, here we go. Um, parlay? Uh, you know, like, Kansas City for the better part of a year, as you well know, didn't cover against anybody. Come back and start lining up for 50 points. Right, and, and they just, they, they're not very good at that, but they're, I think they've started to turn a corner, especially defensively, and I'm waiting for them, you know, for Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes to figure out, okay, how are we going to do this against teams that are just simply not allowing Tyreek Hill to get explosive plays against us? Yeah, it's been interesting to watch them struggle offensively, still win games. So uh, they're on a winning streak, as are uh, our Miami Dolphins, a five-game streak. The Patriots seven in a row. What, what did you think, Jason Cole? I mean, it's after the fact, so obviously it didn't work, so it's a bad move, but as uh, you saw, and I, I remember I was amazed that Harbaugh was uh, showing the sign to go for two after the touchdown mm-hmm. that was scored in that game. I mean, a miracle to come back like that. Uh, they were struggling offensively. Lamar Jackson hasn't been having a great year. He throws a strike. I mean, he stripes one in there into the end zone in the final seconds under completely difficult and compromising circumstances on the entire drive, and they get back into the game. Uh, would you uh, were you surprised to see them uh, attempt the two point conversion, even though uh, everybody says, no. "Yeah, well, it should have worked," but it didn't. Well, no, it was the right call, given all the circumstances. I mean, look, if you have a quarterback with that kind of running talent, um, yeah, so you have run pass option available, and while he's not a great passer. You don't need a great pass in the, you know, in that area, right? You need you need a good one, and he unfortunately, you know, was is off by about six or eight inches on that throw. It was a bad throw, and it's his fault. Um, but that's the right call, and especially when you factor in their corners. I mean, Marlon Humphrey was done. The rest of the corners are banged up. Do you want to continue to go out there? I'd rather. I would rather take my chance of getting the two yards on one play and winning the game straight up than trying to play it out over, um, you know, overtime. I think that that's, that's wise. So I know, I think it's completely the right call. I, I was not surprised at all. In fact, I was, as soon as they scored, I was like, okay, they go for two here, see how it plays out. So no, and I think there was another game. I'm trying to remember which one it was. Where the other team also went for two, and, and the other thing is, you're on the road. You know, go go for, go for two. You know, get out of there. All right, last couple of things here with Jason Cole, NFL insider and author. Uh, Jason, to bring it down here to Miami, the Dolphins now have won five in a row. But it seems like they do this every year now on the floors. This is now a trend. Three years in a row, they start really bad, and then they get into November, and he's amazing, and they're actually pretty good in December. What do you say about that? Like, I feel like that's the kind of trend that at some Fire point. Him. Get rid of him. Fire him. Go. It's, it. it's I, over. Fire him. I'm just curious. Start I'm just, Fire him. But that's what I'm saying. Like, whatever he's doing in November, December is working. And I get it. The Patriots, we know that first month, they sort of feel things out. I understand. Uh, here, here. Luby, can I just say something? Yes. Uh, like, 
I, I don't, this is because this is the kind of analysis that you call me for. Yes. Always. Um, don't have, don't have Jacoby present. <laughs> That's true. There was a lot of percent. <laughs> that is true. But, yeah. I mean, like, you know, I mean, look, I think he's a perfectly you know, acceptable backup, mm. but you know, he's not good enough and their team is not yet good enough to survive without all their pieces. Okay. okay? They're giving there. Okay. And I know people want, want it to be done, but like the first turn of Flores was completely rebuilt. Then you get, then, then you get the quarterback last year. You're trying to figure out, is he the right quarterback? I think they're trending toward he's not the right quarterback, which, you know, is a big mark against them, you know, for having you know, taken him in the first place. I get it. But I think, I think that Flores is still a really good coach. Mm-hmm. He's got some really good ideas on defense. And look, after all the changes you've made over all the years, like they're playing good, a good brand of football. Yeah. It's not good enough yet, but I, I would be really patient with Brian Flores. And I know that everybody's like, oh, he's a Belichick guy, and all the Belichick guys are just, you know, they're awful. Like, you know, just it's, it's horrible. Why would you want to keep those? I get that, right? Mm-hmm. But I think there's something different about Flores. I, I think he has an it's factor and a patience. And a, and a vision down the line, he keeps his team calm. Like the fact that they're winning after such a frustrating start to the season when they thought they were contenders tells me he's keeping his guys, you know, on board. And if I've got a coach who's keeping guys on board, great. Now, you know, again, they've got a major decision that they're going to have to make this offseason about whether they're going to go in all in on Deshaun Watson. Um, or whether they're going to stay with Tua, because there's not really another option. Like the draft doesn't have any quarterbacks that are going to change your team. This is an awful year for that. Um, and there's, you know, you know, there's Russell Will. Russell Wilson will be out there and available, so you can make a, make a move for that if you want. That would be that would be amazing. But you know, you're going to have to give up a truckload to Seattle to get him. You know, Aaron Rodgers is going to be available. I don't think he's a Miami guy, and Aaron is really a little bit too difficult to deal with at this point. He's more of a West Coast guy. He's going to end up in Denver or Seattle, in my in my view, depending on what happens with Wilson. And then there's Deshaun Watson, who they keep flirting with, um, which flirting is probably a bad word to associate with Deshaun <laughs> Watson at this point. Um, but, you know, I think that that's the, those are your options. What do you... Are you going to, if you're, you're moving on from Tua, are you moving up to one of those guys who you think will take you the rest of the distance? Cause I think they've got a lot of other parts. You know, look, they need a running back in a back. Yes. Way. That was, I, I, Jalen Phillips is terrific. You know, you've seen a lot out of him the last two, two, two games, obviously against inferior teams, but you know, five sacks is five sacks, right? Yeah. Um, he's been terrific, but. I just imagine them with a real running back, even a Najee Harris, who's, who hasn't been great in Pittsburgh. But when you consider what their offense is really like and what he's playing with, like he's he's really good. And I just kind of wonder if they if they'd gone running back in the first round instead of Phillips, would they be a little bit further along with their offense? They need a serious running back. They got they got to get away from this Gaskins midget. Yeah, you know, the midget core that they had out there. Last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Like, you know, that, that doesn't work with what you're trying to do. You know, like, you guys got to be smarter than this. 
Um, you got to have a, okay. a running back who can create some yards on his own to help out the rest of that offense. You don't want your seven running backs popping out of a Volkswagen before the game starts. <laughs> uh, as the offense is being introduced. It's it's generally, it's generally, generally about yeah. Yeah. yeah, you don't want them for a uh, remake of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know, don't don't sleep. Uh, yeah, you know, great. offenses can't sleep on Rip Van Ginkle, man. This yeah, guy's a heck of a player. He's yeah. involved in like every play. Uh, Jason, we love you, man. What are you working on? I know you've got a bunch of things coming out. Uh, you said you were working on the movie script. How's that going? Uh, we're pretty close to being done. That's the movie yes. script about your favorite story about the runner from. I Princeton. love that story. That's the best. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's. it's it's um it's coming together pretty nicely and then um hopefully by tomorrow i'll have uh we'll have a partnership on another um pretty big idea hopefully that'll go about a guy who just got inducted into the pro football hall of fame uh, named bill nunn so we'll we'll see how that goes but um you know lots lots of stuff out there defo i'm i'm a, I'm a gambling man Despite, nice. uh, not, quite, not quite like you, not like <laughs> you, but I'm a gambling man. I don't always want to be in this situation, but uh, it's working out well uh, here on After Hours. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, it's always great talking football with you or anything. Hi, guys. Take Jason care. Cole. Welcome, Thanks. Thanks so much for being with us here on the show. Jason Cole, Cole, ladies man. and gentlemen. That was All right, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Jason Cole, always great. Nobody's uh, warmly embracing your man Tua yet. Uh, yet the That's guys, funny. What does he have to do? He's completing 80% of his passes across I, three games. I, it's not like it's all drop-off passes and check-downs. No, no, he's I playing mean, well. Uh, these are some difficult plays uh, over the middle of the field and to the outside. He's not chucking a rock 50 yards down the field yet. But, uh, you know, I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with what he's doing. If you're accurate like that, you're going to score a lot of points. Well, and again, as has been documented, and finally people at ESPN are talking about it, he has the worst, by grade, the worst offensive line in football, yet has been sacked the fourth least. So that's not the line. Been very good. That's I mean, him. he's coming along. <laughs> like, you can see development there. There's no doubt about it. Uh, a- maybe that's a little bit of a testament to... Uh, uh, you know, the coaching, uh, I don't know that uh, the organization as a whole has done much to make him feel comfortable in terms no. of uh, his position here. Nope. As uh, they were all over Deshaun Watson, who, uh, as we like to say, probably, uh, at least in terms of uh, allegations, <laughs> has groped more massage therapists than Bob Kraft. <laughs> I'm not sure it's that guy true. ever. He's not going to play. Like, come on. Comes back and plays in the NFL. I mean, uh, depending on what happens with this case. And uh, obviously, we're not judging the man as being guilty, and it's quite possible that uh, all of this is a bunch of bullshit. But uh, it, it seems like, and, and we have also seen where the numerology, no matter how uh, intense it is or how, how uh, you know, outrageous it seems that like 20 people have come forward. We, yeah. We've seen where that hasn't really resulted in anything nope. in other cases. What happened to all those Trump accusers? Where did they yeah. go? Away. What, do they all have homes in Costa Rica now? <laughs> exactly. I mean, what, what the hell? What, what happened there? It must have been some... I don't want to assert that there might have been some payoffs there involved, but um, mean, all of a sudden they all disappeared, man. And it's the same thing with this Kavanaugh guy, right? They were lining up, uh, yep. you know, one after another. Yep. Supreme Court justice. And uh, all of a sudden, nothing being said about that. Shocking. So, um, you know, I, I don't know what happens as an end result. And if nothing happens uh, from a criminal standpoint, uh, I, how do you, uh, you know, assess this uh, in terms of uh, what kind of penalty should be uh, given to uh, Deshaun Watson by the National Football League? Well, it's just interesting. Which, uh, very inconsistent on how they, uh, you know, uh, perform in these cases. To his entire tenure until the last month, 
locally and nationally, actually. I mean, locally, there was a lot more confidence in him, but nationally and a touch locally, people were, Tua's not the guy, Herbert's the man, whatever, and that's, okay, cool. Well, Herbert still looks like Herbert's the man great. to me, but uh, Tua doesn't look terrible. Herbert's great, but if you've looked over the last month, Herbert had a good week this last week, but the last five weeks... Tua was better. <laughs> like, Herbert was throwing a lot of turnovers, a lot of interceptions. They weren't winning. And he is inefficient. And Tua, again, doesn't have a receiving core. His best receiver was his overall pick. That's a slot guy right now by most accounts. Uh, Parker finally came back. And look what Parker did. He looked great. Like, Tua, with, when given help, has played really well. So it's interesting to me that nationally it's actually gotten quiet. Locally, people are confident in Tua. But... Jason Cole, who has his finger on the pulse of the NFL, still says that there's like this reservation about Tua, which had sort of gone away. So that's actually intriguing to me that Cole still says it's out there. No, he's making winning moves. I mean, I, mean, uh, I always uh, come back him. to this. Uh, yeah. well, one of the great things about Floyd Money Mayweather as a boxer is, A, he never got hit. Yeah. And, B, he was an extremely accurate puncher. And having called yep. a zillion boxing matches in my lifetime, uh, I, I always uh, admired that quality, and, and you could see it was just wildly effective. The accurate puncher is the guy that's actually doing the damage. Now, if he's only throwing one punch around, that's a whole other thing, but kind of makes it a bit of a stiff for the pay-per-view yes. crowd that's watching. But, to watch. But if you watch uh, Mayweather fights over the years, and even going back to when he was really you know throwing volume punches, he was an extremely accurate puncher, as is the case uh, with this guy that's on the scene now, Javante Davis, very accurate on the inside. So he may throw one to your three, but if he's landing a bomb, that, that, that's the way, you know, you're going to be effective in a boxing match. And in football, if you're accurate, look, Drew Brees did it forever. He, he wasn't throwing a ball 100 yards down the field. And uh, what was extremely accurate, Troy Aikman, uh, that was his biggest asset, asset, was that he was extremely accurate, although he had speed burners and playmakers on the outside, as evidenced by the man called the playmaker, Michael Irvin. But yeah. Uh, so he, he didn't have to be, uh, you know, enormous when it came to uh, throwing the bomb to perfection because the guy would just go up there and snatch it. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, the Dolphins have won five in a row. That's uh, certainly nothing to uh, overlook in spite of the fact that the competition has been weak. They're off this week, so they can't lose. Can't lose. And uh, yet at the same time, this whole rebuild in, in the middle of year number three uh, of a complete stripped-down tank job rebuild, which is a disgusting premise to operate under, in my opinion, in any kind of sporting uh, endeavor, But, uh, you know, in the NFL, what we've seen where teams don't have to strip it all the way down. You can have a bad year and bounce back if they're a well-run organization. That hasn't been the case here with Miami, our hometown team. But uh, at the same time, uh, you know, they're winning five in a row and still sub-mediocre, which, uh, you know, is an unfortunate circumstance of a team that's uh, forever been selling false hope. So hopefully some of this uh, will actually have some foundation and uh, get some traction and and maybe that team can go in the right direction. It'd certainly be easier to do sports shows here in town. <laughs> we were talking about this real quick on our Ion Channel show, and if you guys like what we do here on Believe Podcast Network, Ion Channel, 7 to 9 Eastern, every day, Monday through Friday. Yes, sir. We go to 9.30 on Friday with our Degenerate Friday show. And we were talking about uh, this chase of uh, Steph Curry, <laughs> and I call it the Hank Aaron syndrome. <laughs> Steph Curry trying to catch Ray Allen, which he will easily surpass as the all-time uh, best three-point shooter in terms of three-point uh, conversions. Yes. Shots made makes. from three-point range. Yeah, makes. He's, uh, you know, the number's like 2,900 and something, and Curry's Crazy. 10 away. Nuts. And he's chucking him up there from, uh, you know, the Coke machine uh, just <laughs> in quest of cracking his mark. But uh, there's some conversation about Ray Allen being in attendance the night he breaks the record, and it just reminds me of when they were trying to force Hank Aaron to embrace Barry Bonds because they thought maybe it was going to be good for baseball to recognize that this cheat 
This guy uh, where, where the San Francisco Giants had Victor Conti coaching third, so he could go ahead and administer another injection of steroids to a guy uh, and that magic juice that he had as the guy was rounding third because he knew he had a next at bat coming up and he, he was going to need to be, uh, you know, uh, bolstered a little bit. Uh, that that was the fabled booster shot before it was even invoked. Before COVID. <laughs> So they have this uh, video that they made with Hank Aaron, who obviously didn't want to be uh, following Pedro Gomez all around oh. the country as they were trying to track uh, when the record was going to be broken. And it was, you know, an eventuality that uh, was unavoidable. It was going to happen. It was just a matter of where and when. And it took a little while. So who wants to schlep to all these different cities? But Selig even threw in the towel on that. Yep. And uh, sure enough, uh, when he breaks the record bonds, uh, they have a video on the big screen on the scoreboard. And it's Hank Aaron saying, well, Barry... I really want to congratulate you. And you could tell he didn't mean yeah, it, right? I mean, that, that he was under some kind of duress. <laughs> so as Aaron is congratulating him, they, they mistakenly pull back the cameras, and there on each side is a guy with a ski mask over his head and an AK-47 <laughs> pointed to his head saying, tell him how great this record is and how happy you are, Hank, that it was Barry who broke it. <laughs> like, is They're ready to MLB? blow his brains out. <laughs> Very revealing, my friend. Yeah, for sure. Back to like, that's, like Ray Allen. Why would Ray Allen be there? Like, like why, what does that it's do? It's not significant enough of a record, <laughs> really, cares? in my opinion. I mean, it's great that uh, Curry's going to do it. You would imagine if you look back on NBA history and you said, hey, who holds the record all time for three-point uh, shots made? You know, uh, 10 years from now, if you said Steph Curry, I mean, would you be out of your you'd, mind? You'd no, presume. of course not. Yeah, you'd presume. Even if he didn't have the record. But uh, nonetheless, uh, he's going to surpass that. And, and the big speculation is, will Ray Allen be able to be there? Which I, I just don't know that it's uh, that big of a deal of a record. Not like the uh, home run record was in Major League Baseball, which the Bambino held forever. And then Hank Aaron broke it. And he survived all kinds of acrimony and uh, death threats and, and things of that nature because of the racist nature of the United States of America. Yep. Yep. Not to make a political statement here, but it still goes on. Same thing. And uh, who was subjected to more uh, harassment? Maybe Jackie Robinson? I, I don't know. Uh, Hank Aaron had to fear for his life. He was getting death threats every day in the mail. I mean, uh, letters uh, with a return address that said KKK, center number 105. <laughs> Some hick town in Georgia or Alabama. And uh, so, uh, you know, he, he wasn't really happy that Barry was breaking his record. A guy that was averaging like 28 home runs a year all of a sudden is hitting 75 by the All-Star break. So he knew it was Fugazi. And uh, didn't want to embrace it, but uh, very reluctantly uh, issued that videotape nonetheless, which I, I never bought into the sincerity of that message from the great Hank Aaron, who we know despised the fact that all of these guys were cracking in and zoning in on his records uh, when uh, he had to do it au naturel. All right, speaking of au naturel, we have to run. Uh, it's been great being with you. Our thanks to Jason Cole, special guest today on After Hours with Defoe and Luby. He's Mike Luby Lubitz. I'm Jeff DeForest. We're on the Believe Podcast Network, so where I think the running slogan should be you should tell Brown about this you gotta believe hey folks tony segreto here what if i told you you could go to a great restaurant feel completely safe because their covid protocol is unmatched have an amazing meal have a great time when the bill comes you won't get sticker shock you're going to say that's too good to be true no it's not because I'm talking about Texas Roadhouse. Great family atmosphere, great atmosphere for a couple, great atmosphere if you just want to go by yourself and watch a game and have the coldest beer in town. And while you're doing that, have the best bread in town. 
all at Texas Roadhouse. Everything you get there is fresh every day and made sure it's served at your table, hot and ready to go. And the best part is you don't get sticker shock because the prices are amazing. Texas Roadhouse. Destination Sport Miami is here to revolutionize the sports landscape in South Florida. The largest indoor multifaceted sports complex in North America is on the way with distinguished leaders of its various sports programs and unparalleled access to the finest indoor training fields and facilities Destination Sport Miami will set South Florida apart as the destination of choice for elite athletic training and development and for its dedication to youth programs and sports on all levels. A phenomenal concept and a powerful undertaking, Destination Sport Miami will also be an important commodity in the sports business community as well. Destination Sport Miami, it's time has come. These days, we're all looking for comfort anywhere we can find it. Thank goodness for Landlubbers, Raw Bar and Grill in the plantation location because they are making sure you are as comfortable as possible. First of all, they're not only open for delivery and pickup. All you have to do is go to landlubbersbarandgrill.com for both pickup and free delivery. Their hours have changed a little bit. Monday through Thursday from 3.30 to 10. And Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from 11.30 to 10. You're going to have the best wings in the world. You're going to have a great burger. You're going to have... They're amazing soups. Again, Landlubbers, Raw Bar, and Grill. It's nice and easy. Just go to landlubbersbarandgrill.com for both your pickup and free delivery. Thank goodness for Landlubbers for making you always feel right at home. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.